0: Let's be honest, showing partiality is something that we tend to do sometimes, even though we know it's wrong. So on today's episode, as we look at James chapter 2, we're going to be learning about what a real faith in Christ looks like and how we can overcome partiality, because there's a lot of talk about people discriminating against certain people and finding true answers to how we can overcome the disunity and walk in a unified faith. So, turn to James chapter 2, and let's dive into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray that you are blessed in the Lord. Thank you guys for joining me once again as we continue our study in the book of James. As always, if you have missed any previous podcasts, whether you've missed out on our chronological study in the Gospels or our chronological study in the book of Acts, or even you missed out on James chapter one, go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast, all the information is on there. And just so you know, we are on Amazon Podcasts the music platform, as well as any type of RSS feed that you get for your Android or for your iPhone, including SoundCloud. So take advantage of sharing Stand Strong in the Word podcast to your family and your friends and even people at your church. I would love uh, more people sharing about what we're doing here. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads to date. I've even lost track. We haven't actually been looking recently, but the last time I checked, it blows my mind to see people all over the world, joining in as we study God's word together. So thank you if you have been a part of the efforts to pray that God would expand this ministry platform online, as well as even sharing it on your platforms to let people know how they can grow in the word of God. So I greatly appreciate uh, that uh, uh, just immensely, my friends. So as we now transition to James chapter two, the, the theme for this particular chapter is going to be looking at live faith versus dead faith. Now, if, if you were following along in James chapter 1, you see that uh, theme that was coming out about steadfast faith, a faith that is able to overcome the trials in our life and that we are to ask for wisdom and we're not to be a double-minded person. And now James is going to continue that theme, but what he's going to be doing is he's going to be breaking it down and looking specifically at how our faith is being lived out. Now, you and I know as followers of Jesus Christ, we're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus Christ who has saved us, not according to, again, to our own deeds, to our own flesh, but we're saved according to his grace through faith. And we are to be zealous for good works. And that's what we're going to be exploring in James chapter 2. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works, just like you and I freely and willingly put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and the finished work that he's done for us. Now, as Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Therefore, we're to participate in Jesus's grace by bearing fruit and demonstrating a Christian life. In the last episode, we were talking about living out the word of God. So, if again, if you missed that one, jump back to that one, because oftentimes we can study God's word, we can talk about God's word, we can read about God's word from from different angles and dissect certain things. But really, the question ultimately is, how are we living it out? And that was what we were exploring towards the end of James chapter one. And so, that's where we pick things up now. We're going to be talking about the discrimination of partiality and this is going to give us insight between alive faith in christ that is and dead faith that's without the work of the holy spirit so if you have a bible let's now begin reading in james chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 i'll read verses 1 through 6 and then i'll read verses 7 through 13 so james writes here my brothers show no partiality That's literally show no favoritism as you hold or experience or believe the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring, literally the status of a great wealthy individual with power and has fine clothing, literally it means shiny, right? Shiny clothing that comes into your assembly or your synagogue. And a poor man in shabby, that means filthy clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention, this is interesting because it says, and if you look attentively with favor to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, a place of honor, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court. And then verse seven through 13, and they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called. If you really fulfill the royal, that means the sovereign law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But since you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy, James writes, triumphs over judgment. Now, as always, there's just so much to unpack here. So let's go back to verse one. And, and notice immediately, James, again, remember, the theme is alive faith versus dead faith. So he wants to make the distinction. And this is powerful. Matter of fact, this is one of the chapters in ministry that I refer to, and there are several others. When you want to distinguish between mature Christians, like you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you and 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 before that, actually, go to First Corinthians chapter three, and you see this reference that's referred to as carnal Christians. They're not mature believers. As a matter of fact, there are some commentaries refer to them as carnal Christians. Okay, so you look at First Corinthians chapter three, verse you know, chapter three, four, and five, and you also look at Hebrews chapter five between a meat eater and a milk drinker. And so there's the distinction between those who are skilled and mature and those who are unskilled and immature. And then this, this passage here in James chapter 2, where the difference between people who profess to be believers, but they're dead in their works, that you don't really see much fruit. And again, this can coincide against uh, Matthew chapter 7 with those who are building their lives on sand versus those who are building their lives on solid foundation. And again, remember, James is the one that is referring a lot to the Sermon on the Mount, to his brother's teachings in Matthew 5 through 7. And so here is another great passage where we can, uh, you know, break down an understanding between Christians who are dead in their works and people who are alive in their works. Now, clearly, people who profess to be believers or dwell with the Holy Spirit, we're to live it out. We are not to discriminate. We're not to be partial Okay, we are to be impartial. We are to love people regardless. So notice when he says, my brothers, again, so he's communicating to these church leaders. He's communicating to the scattered church abroad. And he gets right into it as he continues on, you know, this faith conversation and says, we're not to show favoritism. If you have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Lord of glory. So James now transitions his letter to rebuke fellow Christians who are showing favoritism based on notice, this example that I read, on wealth. Okay, so that's what he's using. And that still happens today. Uh, let me just be frank. Uh, sadly, in you know, pastoring in various different churches and speaking in hundreds of churches, I, I see this more often than, than I'd like to admit. And sometimes it's easy when, and these are friends of mine. And of course, you know, they're talking about my book or something that I've written. And you have all these people who, who are there willing and ready to serve you. And then there's a total disregard with people again, that nobody knows or people who look a little questionable, right? So when people have titles or they have a certain status, um, they're famous, they're popular, they're wealthy you know, they have power, we all fall for it to some degree. I mean, let's just be, let's just admit it. Again, we don't, we don't want to admit that, you know, we're sinners oftentimes. We all, we, uh, yeah, we know the theology, we know the doctrine, Yeah, born in sin, but oftentimes we don't get specific in the kind of sins that we struggle with. And, James just calls it out, you guys. He just admits saying, you guys are showing favoritism based on the status of wealth. So I, you know, you, we have to stop and think as we're reading scripture and say, well, what does that have to do with me? Do I show favoritism to people because of their wealth? Am I right now currently in my life? Am I pursuing something because I want more money? If so I can buy nicer things so people can you know, view me a certain way But we are told here that we're not to show partiality. Why? Because showing partiality is inconsistent to Christian behavior. Why? Because it discriminates. It discriminates others. And you know what? And again, biblically, this is a form of persecution. So when we oftentimes look at, and again, in my office, I have the voice of the martyrs, you know, the, the map of the, of the persecuted church and all over the world. And so I daily, when I am in my office working, I'll, you know, and I take time to pray in the afternoon. I pray for the persecuted church. But what James is saying too, though, is a form of persecution is given when we mistreat others because they're not at a certain status of respect. So we actually disrespect them. If people don't have a certain level of education. We don't think highly of them, or we don't think they're worthy for a certain position. And so we dismiss them or we overlook them. That is discrimination. That is showing partiality when we say, well, this person has something far greater than what this other person has. And you know what? Because of title or certain status, that may be the case but I think oftentimes we are blinded by fame and fortune right? when people have something um, because oftentimes that greed in us, I can get something out of this. And so we overlook people who have less than other people. And we have to be careful. That is a form of persecution. When, when James is referring to, the, to these Christians, these brothers, as the faith that you place in our Lord, What he's saying is you go back to Galatians 2, verse 16, when Paul was saying that God shows no partiality. And so when you put faith in in our Lord, God shows no partiality. Therefore, as followers of God, his followers show no partiality. Plain and simple, period. No excuses. God told this to Peter in Acts 10, 34. Paul would later mention this again in Romans 2, verse 11. God shows no partiality. Therefore, we have no excuse when we show partiality to other people. So you continue now where he's going to be teaching you in verses two through four about being committed now to this message. So he gives an example. He talks about a man wearing a gold ring, shiny clothes, coming into the synagogue. And then you have somebody who's filthy, poor. And by telling them to go sit over here, this is an example that James gives. And this is what was happening in his day. And it still happens today. You have wealthy people who come in and you have a poor person. And what I believe that James is doing here, when you look at the text, he's patterning again. He's building a pattern after Jesus's teachings. And I believe that it's contrasting to the point of looking at the good Samaritan from the Levite and the priest. When you go back to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, or when you're looking at the wise or the foolish builder in Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Or when you look at the example that Jesus gave the parable of the banquet in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, when you had people who got there and then a lot of people disregarded the, the, the invitation. And so they went out to invite the poor. This is what James is doing. But, but, but in his time now, with the early church growing and they're occupying some areas that are known in synagogues to preach the word, to evangelize the gospel to Jews. They were mistreating people who had less than the rich. And therefore the rich were the ones who were favorable. They are the ones that are getting more of the recognition. And so when he's saying in, into your assemblies, he's placing this example in a church setting. And so he's actually exposing how improper the poor are being treated among their own. You think when you go to the hospital, you're there to be treated with a a sickness. When you go to the church, you're expected to be treated with love and with dignity and with respect. And yet the opposite was happening. He says, have you not then made distinctions See, the moment you and I do that, for the next time you walk into the church, I encourage you to think when you walk in, and again, I I know some of you guys probably go to a larger church where you don't know a whole lot of people. And so oftentimes when you go to church, people just don't say anything to you because you don't know them. They don't know you, you don't know them. Maybe you, you may know who certain people are, but they may not know who you are. But notice how many times people don't say anything to anybody. That's sad. We, we oftentimes don't even greet one another in the name of the Lord. We don't go by blessing people. Just kind of pass them. I don't know you, you don't know me, but we go to the same church. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's sad too, isn't it? But here they're making distinctions. So think about your group. Think about even a small group that you attend. Have you made, is your group made up of distinctions? Is there partiality there? Now, don't get me wrong. Please hear me. There, there's a place where, you know, you have community with people that are like-minded um, as, as, yes, as fellow believers in Christ, but there's history. There's trust. Uh, that's important. So I'm not saying just because you have a closed group of people that you've known for a long time and you don't let anybody else in, that doesn't mean that you're showing partiality. But we have to be careful, though, in how we live our life. I try as best I can oftentimes to try to acknowledge other people or find ways to get to know people um, and to be sensitive to that. I don't always get it right, but I want to be sensitive to that. And that's what I'm saying for us is when, when James is saying here, have you not made a distinction? It's just us being sensitive, saying, man, am I, am I making distinctions in my life based on who I hang out with? You know, Zonervan, the Illustrated Bible Background Commentary of the New Testament said this, these words referring to this distinction he says these words can also be translated are you not divided in yourselves the greek verb james uses here diachronio occurs and also in james chapter 1 verse 6 with this sense of doubt be divided james points uh, james point may be then that the believers discrimination against the poor is indication of the deeply divided nature of their spiritual allegiance, which is at the heart of James's concern throughout the letter. So the church had become divided over discriminating people based on their economic status and ethnic backgrounds. And you know what, you guys? That is still the case today. And it is wrong. You may preach the word and have great fellowship and have these Bible studies, but if there is a pattern of making distinctions, or again, as this Greek word, the way that you could break it down, are you not divided in yourselves? When we put those walls up, again, whether it be for economic purposes or ethnic purposes, God is not going to honor that because he says here, James says, because you become judges with evil thoughts. So the moment we do that, we are becoming a judge with evil thoughts, showing partiality has vicious intentions that are catchless you guys that are motivated by covetousness and they're motivated by pride and as a result church leaders have become these unjust judges i mean you guys see it it and and you know what i've always said it's a house of cards when you have so many people who go to these churches where these celebrity pastors they don't they don't know most of the people at their congregation and the congregation don't, they don't know their leaders. And there's a lot of covetousness and there's a lot of pride. and We have to be careful. And I believe a lot of these church leaders, because they've made these distinctions in and in this certain brand that they promote. And if and, and you conform to that, and if you're outside of that, boom, there's a distinction. Like you're not one of us, right? You're not branded with our tattoo kind of thing. And and the Bible says that's division. There's division among us. And that's not what God has intended his church to be. So we got to be committed that we're not making distinctions in verses 2 through 4. Now verses 5 through 7, we have to show compassion. Because notice he says, listen. So he's referring to them as beloved brothers, right? Beloved brothers, hear me out. And then he saying, listen, my beloved brothers. Again, so this is a big heart that James is expressing. So yes, he's going toe to toe. He's speaking the truth, but he's doing it in love. He's relating to them and saying, you guys are my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor? So what, what, what James is doing now in verses five through seven is he's laying out a theological argument which means he's reflecting upon the rich young ruler. I believe in this passage by pointing out that a person's spiritual st- status isn't determined by their financial worth. You think, well, what, what, what is that all about? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 19, remember the rich young, uh, young man came in verse 16. He says, behold, a young man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask? Me about what is good. There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And of course, he says, "I kept them all." And Jesus says, "The one thing you haven't done, then go, go take all your possessions, go sell all your possessions, and give to the poor." And he says, "And you, in verse 21, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me." But guess what happened in verse 22? The young man heard this. He was so sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. So in verse 23 of Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples after this, he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? So that's the point here in verses 5 through 7 of James chapter 2. That he's making. He's making this theological argument because he wants people to understand that a person's spiritual status is not determined by their financial wealth. This rich young ruler that came to Jesus believed because of his status was a sign of his blessing. And yet God exposed to him the covetousness that's in his heart. And so for us today, we, we can think that I've had all these Bible studies and I've gone to seminary and I've gone to conferences and I know the pastor very well and he, you know, he comes over to my house regularly or I'm an elder of the church or whatever the case may be. And God is saying, no, that, that's, that doesn't determine your spiritual status. I mean, yes, you want to be serving God. Good for you. But don't think that you're close to God because you're close to certain people of a certain status at church. The Bible says God has chosen those who are poor in the world. I love that phrase, you guys. God has chosen those who are poor in the world. Remember Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul says beautifully that Jesus, our Savior, came in, he he emptied himself. He came into the world, and in poverty, he helped you and I become rich. So God doesn't use prideful people to advance his kingdom. So I want you guys to stop and think, are your church leaders making distinctions with people? Are they only surrounding themselves with people of a certain status? Or do, or do you notice that they, make a, they go out of the way, no matter the gender, no matter the, ethnic, the ethnicity, no matter the social status or the economic status? They just love people. They're a shepherd of all kinds of people. See, God uses people who are humble, who who seek to care for other people. Is that the kind of leaders that you have at your church? Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when God is calling the humble things, when he's calling the poor in the world, not, not literally just all the poor, therefore God's neglecting the rich, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying the people that are humble in the world, the people who, they're the ones who are rich in faith. And we can't miss out on that, you guys. And I, you know what? I have tried desperately at times to ignore uh, fame of other people to hear from and look around thinking, you know, Lord, please bring people in my life that no one really knows but just bring people in my life that love you more than than I think this author does, or this pastor does. So let's not succumb to that. My point being is, um, I don't just solely rely on colleagues of mine who run ministries and write books or or pastors of big churches to um, advise me in life. I, I surround myself with no distinction people that I believe God has used in a powerful way, who who are rich in faith. So that phrase has to do with the value of faith, not the quantity of it. Most of the people who made up the early church, they were poor, you guys. But James reminds them of the spiritual inheritance that awaited them in heaven. That's what we need to be focusing on. A lot of times we get so fixated on the here and now and what the church is up to, what the church is going to do in the community and beyond. And, and we can get so fixated on that, that we actually neglect what God is doing in His, you know, through us to advance his kingdom beyond just the here and now. You know, let, let's look at the, the picture, you know, in, in terms of what he's doing in other states and, and, and how God's advanced his kingdom around the world. The Expository's Bible commentary writes, quote, "James's concept of the blessed poor may be misunderstood. He does not say that all poor people are rich in faith, nor does he exclude the rich from the ranks of the saved." Furthermore, God's choice of the poor must not be taken as based on, an, on any merit inherent in poverty. One reason God has chosen those who are poor may be seen in the account of the rich young ruler, which, of course we talked about earlier. There, Jesus indicated that those who have riches find it exceedingly difficult to enter God's kingdom, apparently because their wealth stands in the way. God blesses those who willingly recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. A second reason why God chooses the poor is explicitly stated in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and 29. God selects those who have nothing or are nothing in themselves so that no one may boast before him, end quote. I like that, and that's what James, in essence, is saying, you guys. So, as we move forward in verse six, let us just be reminded: one, that we're not making distinctions in life, and number two, that we are poor in spirit, that we are rich in faith because we are humbling our our lives before God, and we are know we know what script and when Scripture says in First 1 Corinthians one twenty nine that no flesh will boast in the presence of God. But James goes on to say in verse six, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich, the ones who oppress, meaning exploit, aren't they causing tyranny? So the irony is that some poor people in the church rejected their own kind for the favor of the aristocrats who were the very ones that were mistreating them. So even even, there are even times when you abandon your own people, if you will, to try to get in in another group, and so you see that a lot, especially in middle school and high school. You know, you you want to be the popular kid, and so but the popular kids think the friends that you hang out with are losers. Oh, yeah, and so you start calling your friends that you hang out with losers, so that you could be uh, accepted by the popular kids, and that's what's that's in essence, right? Using that type of an analogy is happening in the church that was that was what was going down with James. so you had you know poor people who were rejecting their own kind so that the aristocrats would would accept them and therefore stop mis, you know stop mistreating them and so then they would start being involved in the dirty work with these aristocrats and they thought that that would be more favorable no if God shows no partiality, we're not to show partiality. So if these aristocrats, these people that are in power showing partiality, they're making distinctions, that's wrong. So the people that we oftentimes think will help us because of a certain status could actually be the people that could ruin you. But we have to be careful, you guys, because we've heard uh, that a lot, right, in, in the Christian faith of how people have been mistreated. And a lot of times you realize the people that were friends with you, they were just taking advantage of you because you had something they either didn't have or they're using you so they can gain something in return. And that's not a true friendship. When he says in verse seven, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? That literally, the phrase in the Greek is interesting because it's carrying, he's saying that the good name that has been called over you. So the ruling class dishonored the name of the Lord by the way they treated the early church and how they mocked their savior. So later in the letter, what James is going to do, because this is important. So right now this is in James chapter two, verse seven, but he's going to go back in chapter five and relive this. He's going to bring back a word to the filthy rich, to these aristocrats, and he's going to rebuke them in James chapter five, verses one through six. But right now he's saying these people, they blaspheme the honorable name of the Lord and when he's referring to that, he's saying, this is the name that you and I call upon. This is the name that protects us. So we're not to abandon it ourselves. And then in verse eight is interesting because in verses eight through 11, I should say, James gives a scriptural argument by citing two verses that make up the law. And what are they? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, four through five, you know that the, the Shema, the Lord, our God, the Lord, God is one. And you shall love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then when you look at the second one, which is Leviticus 19 verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when you take those two passages, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, and you look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he summarized the two greater commandments, which is known as the supreme command of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul. And you shall love your neighbor, which is the second, and which is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, Jesus said, these two commandments depend on the law and the prophets. When you look at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul wrote that the law is fulfilled through love. He said, O oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You should not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what he's saying here in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal, the sovereign law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show distinction, if you show partiality, if you're discriminating, you're not fulfilling the totality of scripture. And that is a huge indictment, my friends, a huge one. I mean, that is a common, consistent theme throughout scripture. So he goes on to say in verse nine, but if, since you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law of transgressor. So the term transgressor means to go beyond or to break the law of God repeatedly. So James, he's, he's calling out this habitual sin of partiality in the early church. And you know what, you guys? We have to call it out in the church today. We have to call out partiality. I think, we, I think yes, there's a level of, of racism that, that exists in the church. Um, And we have to call that out, but, but even if people are not racist and they accept all ethnic backgrounds, okay, let's say your church is, is diverse. There's still discrimination. There's still partiality to some extent. It may not just be solely on color, but people who show partiality, James says, you're a transgressor. Why? Because you break the law of God and a transgressor, you guys, is one who is habitual in that sin. So if anything, that's you know, you're 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 propagating that. You're promoting that. And you know what the sad thing is, you guys, a lot of people are not even aware of it. And it's causing a lot of damage. And again, a lot of the partiality is because you're not as special as these people. Again, it could be because you don't have the money. I mean, I've been a part of churches that 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 uh when I looked around the the leadership, uh, they're all wealthy. They've given money for building projects, you know, building programs or their third, fourth, fifth generation, that's partiality. They hold a certain status because of their last name, because of the family history. And a lot of that is partiality. He goes on to say in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law, but falls or fails, I should say in one point. So James continues to point out the contradiction between having faith in Christ, but yet what? Showing favoritism. Oh, I love God. I want God to forgive me of my sins, but I show favoritism. God doesn't have favorites. So Christians who show favoritism, they undermine the very nature of God and they fail to live according to the life and teachings of Christ. Therefore, to break any one of God's commands is to fall short of his glorious standards. So a lot of churches boast about their mission efforts and, and how big their church is and how much staff they have, and they have a counseling center there. But if they're showing perpetual partiality, they are breaking God's commands or falling short of that because their love is conditional. He says, if you say I have not committed adultery, do not murder. He says, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor. So God, he's the ultimate standard, not us not your church. Therefore, God is the author of the law and he's the judge over everything. James here, it's, it's pretty cool when he's talking about adultery and murder. He's using the two laws in the Ten Commandments if you go back to Exodus chapter 20 verses 13 through 14 and he's making a point. And The Osbury Bible Commentary says this, quote, Many of James's contemporaries had adopted an attitude toward the law that allowed them to ignore or violate certain points that did not suit them. They consider themselves approved of God as long as their credits exceeded their, their, their um, debits in observance of the law. But this is contrary to the basic purpose of the law, namely to make the gathered ones truly the people of God. Excluding just one regulation makes God's goal impossible of attainment a change in attitude toward the law shifts attention from self and its merits to others in their needs, end quote. So to violate, the point is, to violate just one aspect of the law is to break all of them. And isn't it amazing that we have a Savior who fulfilled the law, the Bible says? So when he goes now in the closing here in verse 12 and 13, he says to speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty is a reference to loving your neighbor, going back to verse 8, which is a central teaching of Jesus in Matthew 12, 28, and and Paul, like I read in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. So you can't show partiality. Otherwise, you're not advancing the law of liberty. See, it's freeing when we walk in grace and when we extend mercy, because that's what he says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Those who are guilty of showing favoritism and who are failing to extend mercy to the less fortunate will be judged harshly without mercy. Let me give you guys in conclusion. Let me give you a powerful passage in Zechariah chapter seven, verses nine through 10. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So you see how we're not to live a life that is unkind to others. We are to love the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. We're not to devise evil against people. We're not to revile against people. If they do something to us, we're not to retaliate, but we are to show grace to others. In the parable about a servant who failed to show mercy after receiving mercy, Jesus concluded his teaching by revealing the outcome of the master. Remember, he says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not and should not have you shown mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's Matthew 18, 32 through 35. So mercy, you guys, that is the key to not have partiality in your heart. The Zondervan Bible commentary says, it is true of God's mercy that it triumphed at Calvary over His judgment, that not at the expense of His justice, though not at the expense of His justice, it is true in the conversion of the sinner, and it should also be true in our relationship with one another. Luke six thirty six through thirty seven. So may that be true for all of us, you guys. That when you look at your life and you're thinking, you know, I, I love people. I I give them my time and and I. I certainly try not to discriminate people based on their, their color or their gender or anything like that. And perhaps maybe even you've been a testimony of that. Praise God. But let's also be careful that we're not letting certain partiality in our church or in our home life or with certain people because the Bible's very clear that if God loves us and shows no partiality, that's who he is, then we are not to show partiality to other people. If you are having issues like that in your church, I pray that you would be bold enough with respect, with a heart of peace and unity to go to your leadership and to show them this particular passage and maybe express some of the, the discontent possibly maybe or maybe, you've been a res- maybe you have sadly been um, at the receiving end of discrimination or people are showing partiality and you're being rejected you're being and they're dismissing you pray ask god to work in those people's lives don't retaliate again don't show mercy mercy or excuse me don't don't be merciless to them the bible says mercy triumphs over judgment and so ask god again just like you asked for wisdom in chapter one of james ask for mercy here in james chapter two so I hope that's been a blessing to you guys as we looked at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have any questions or any prayer requests, you can always email me at info at standstrongministries.org. So thank you guys for tuning in to this episode today. I pray you'll continue to ask the Lord to work in your life. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.